Dress may contain graphic and disturbing subject matter. This is a horror true crime comedy podcast, and the topics may depict murder, abuse, the supernatural, and things that should never be involved with food. Our hosts dive deep into the internet for their research and do their best not to screw up the pronunciations. All jokes are made with the utmost respect to those involved, and listener discretion is advised. Hi all, this is Regina here. I just want to thank you for hanging in there with us for these first handful of episodes while we learn our audio equipment. Just hang in there with us and I promise we'll get better. Welcome to Disturbing Interest. We would like to remind you that listener discretion is advised. This podcast contains graphic and disturbing content. If you have a delicate constitution, then this is probably not what you want to listen to. If you had an aversion to cursing, well then, we are not your podcast. So, I am Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting next to me is my lovely co-host. Hi, I'm Lynn, the docent of darkness, walking you through the Museum of Horrible Histories. So, how's your week been this week, Lynn? I mean, you know, I did look at the news. That was a mistake. It's always a mistake. But on a positive note, the new season of BoJack Horseman recently dropped on Netflix. So that's what I've been spending my evenings doing. Thartic group therapy with BoJack Horseman and the cast of Hollywood uh, on the Netflix. Apparently I'm going to have to watch this. You are not the first person who's told me good things about BoJack Horseman. It's not a show that you can really binge watch for like multiple episodes without severe psychological repercussions. It's a throw thing. Things. It's a cry kind of show. I had a friend who um, was passing a kidney stone. Uh, shout out to the kidney stone. He's good now. Who said, oh yeah, yeah. No, I saw you were interested in it. So I watched it while I was on Vicodin and I was like, oh my oh. god, that's... Hey, that's hardcore. So I recommend not Vicodin, but I mean, it's a it's an option for you. But yeah, BoJack Horseman. It's I think you either really like BoJack or you're like oh, I have a question. No. What's the option, BoJack Horseman or the Vicodin? Because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, uh, it just depends on what kind of night you want to have. But this uh, is yeah, true. It's, uh, boy, this is a this is a hard season. Given that it had to be made, you know, about a year in advance because animation and all that takes a while. It's surprisingly prescient for what's happening today. So. Mm, I love that kind of South Park, Rick and Morty animation humor. I think a lot of people that are Rick and Morty kind of dig BoJack. It's in that vein of it's wacky, it's surreal, but it's about some pretty deep stuff that otherwise you don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily sit down and be like, I'm going to watch a show about this really grueling type of inner work and and interpersonal relationships. I think having that buffer of like talking squid people kind kind of sugarcoats it. A spoonful of Vicodin makes the BoJack horseman go down let's just circle back around to the vicodin and and there you go everything goes down a little bit easier with a spoonful of vicodin don't take drugs kids no unless it's legal my week this week man i've got my biological father visiting from honduras so we've been running around doing a lot of things in the city and i'm still recovering from mono so that's been very tiring but fun so some real slow tourism yeah like like tai chi levels of kind of moving tourism Kind of, except it's not really tourism since he used to live here. So it's more like, hey, want to run over to Metzger's Maps and grab some maps? And I'm like, hey, I'm making a paper bouquet right now. I might as well go ahead and grab
grab some matte paper to make these roses out of, right? I didn't find the maps I wanted there for the paper roses, which if you're going to find a map anywhere, it's going to be Metzger's maps. We actually went over to Paper Hammer in the long run, and that's where I found the paper print that I'm using for these paper roses. I found this great cat's jumping through hoops pattern. It just makes me happy. See, you can like horrible things and crafting. That's right. I mean, come on. This paper is pink. I'm a little sad because my my current notebook, which has a, it's a pink cover with a little panda on it, and the panda's tummy is flocked like 70s velvet wallpaper so you can rub his tummy. It's where I write down all these disturbing things about history. It's on its last pages. I had to supplement with post-it notes, and now it's going to be gone. So I have to go to Daiso and get myself another cheerful little child's notebook to write horrible things about dismemberment and human sacrifice and, you know, torture and oh, murder. Oh, definitely. And spoonful of sugar, spoonful of Vicodin, spoonful of Vicodin of will make anything yeah. go down. No, I completely understand because with mine, I love just notebooks. Love notebooks. Love different kind of notebooks. Love anime print. Love old looking. You'll find notebooks all over. And I realized that I'm running out. I'm running low. I haven't bought a notebook in like, well, one in the last maybe three years because I realized I had a plethora and now I'm running low. And I was wondering, man, if anyone picked up one of these notebooks and just started reading, they would think I was such a disturbed person. Would would they be wrong? No, no. See, I think that's healthy. You're writing it out. You're researching it out. You're not acting it out, I, I hope. No, no, definitely not. Alrighty. Well, do you want to kick us off today? And folks, we know this is the first episode. Please bear with us. Our audio will get better. And um, as we go on, our lineup will probably cement itself. It may not. We're doing this for a good time. So buckle up. You're in for a ride. So this will be sort of the appetizer, if you will, to sort of a longer story and it does tie in and you'll probably later find that my discussion of it as an appetizer isn't terribly poor taste but it's just kind of what came to mind but to start off with we're going to go with a sort of light subject no one actually dies in the making of this particular story Um, (laughs) and this is the story the actual factual story of why German childhood is hardcore and it's about a very famous if you're from Germany you'll be like oh yeah of course this book yeah of course I had it in my nursery. Uh, and it's Der Struhlpater. Can you just do everything in that accent for oh, the yeah. rest of the day? I, 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 could, I could read this all in the accent of my recently deceased mother-in-law, my mutti-in-law, uh, who recently passed away. But she was a, um, a Municher. She was from Munich. Spoke English beautifully, but of course sounded a bit, you know, Jaja Gaborian. I know Jaja is not German, but there was a Mumu theme going on, so in both of their lives. Uh, so this one, this one is for you, Hanalora. This is for you. It's the story of Der Struhlpater. So my husband, Wilhelm, actually read this as a child, as do many German children. I mean, in the same way that here, um, you know, in English-speaking countries, we read Grimm's fairy tales, also German, but translated. You know, in the same way that if you look into kind of old fairy tales, they have kind of disturbing content when you think about them. Grandmothers being eaten, wolves cross-dressing as humans. Mm-hmm. So the Struhlpater book, it's, I mean, it's, again, German childhood is hardcore. So Struhlpater would translate to shock-headed Peter or shaggy Peter. Yeah. 
So basically, if it's anything that's kind of un unkempt, and he is kind of the archetype for, this is why we do hygiene, why personal hygiene is important. So Stroopater is a collection of 10 little children's verses, children's stories, that are delightfully illustrated with full color plates. And it was written in 1845 by a doctor named Heinrich Hoffmann. And he wrote this book because he was looking for a, you know, Christmas present for his three-year-old son and was looking around and said, you know, none of these children's books are, I don't know, as instructively disturbing as I would like them to be, so I'm just going to write one, you know? So now I'm going to write one. So he basically wrote these 10 illustrated verses, rhyme stories. He was sort of like a proto-roll doll in many ways for kids. And this book is actually kind of interesting if you're just a book historian, because it's considered a precursor to comic books. It was, really? uh, yeah, it was one of the first uses of a process in printing called chromolithography okay. that allowed you to make all of these color plates relatively inexpensively. And so it wasn't just like, here's a picture, here's a long verse. There were multiple little illustrations that went along with each of these kind of panels, if you will, with uh, the verses. So it, it was sort of like a comic book. And the original title of it, so just get comfortable because it's going to take a while because Germans love them a compound word. And I'm going to try this. Sorry to Wilhelm and the in-laws if I'm going to mess this up, but I, I tried. I, I did run it past him first, but here we go. It was originally called, and this is a real snappy title, real snappy. Lustig, Geschichten und Drollig Bilder mit 15 schon Kuloriten Tafeln für Kinder von drei bis sechs Jahren. Or funny stories and whimsical pictures with 15 beautifully colored panels for children aged three to six. For some crazy reason, I mean marketing, what do you know? It was The name was changed to just Struopater, which is a mouthful enough uh, during its third printing in 1858. So, you know. <laughs> Back then, did they charge by the word? I mean, was it like, <laughs> you, think, you can I mean, cut this book down to like a third of the cost if you just change the name? Well, uh, yes. Uh, again, I think Germans like to be real thorough and descriptive. It was also the origin of the sinister figure of the tailor or the scissor man, which does still show up in some English horror stories. So let me just run down the list of these 10 whimsical stories for Whimsical. Kids. For children, three to six, tots, tiny children, little children. These are these are the 10 stories. And then you tell me if German childhood was hardcore. Story one, Struelpater, it's cut to the chase. It is about shock-headed Peter who doesn't comb his hair and doesn't wash and is just disgusting and becomes a- I think I knew that guy in high school. We all knew that yeah. guy in high school. But he becomes a horrifying outcast and no one ever speaks to him because gross dude. Now, on the positive side, he gets an extra seat on the bus even during rush hour. But, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, no one. So basically, kids take a bath or no one will ever speak to you and you'll become an outcast that must lurk on the fringes of society to brush your damn hair. Okay, all right. That's not so bad. Huh. Okay, sure. That's instructive and not too, it's a little whimsical, but you know, not the worst thing that could happen. Well, you don't want a friend you can taste while you breathe. Right. So there's that. So number two, second story, moving right along. The story of Wicked Frederick. Now, Frederick's a violent little shit and he's mean to everyone. He hurts animals. He hurts people. Oh, fuck I bet Frederick. He, I bet he's a bedwetter and is into arson. Dun, dun, dun. Serial killer. Alert. But karma's a bitch, Fred. Karma's a bitch. 
bitch. Because he hits a dog, and the dog's like, oh, fuck you, Fred, and bites him. Because, you know, he's a dog. And poor Frito ends up in bed, bedridden. Maybe it's rabies. Uh, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's maybe it's rabies. And to add insult to injury, the dog that has bitten Frederick and sent him to his bed steals his sausage. Good puppy. I mean, that's like the worst thing that can happen to you if you're a German. Sausage. <laughs> Boy, this ties into my story later. It, it does, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, I the good good work me on that one. Uh, so yeah, so Wicked Frederick. All right, story number three. And this one, I God, I'm sorry, guys. I, I don't, I'm just reporting. I'm not agreeing. It's the story of the Black Boys, which features a visit from St. Nicholas. So uh, St. Nicholas catches these three little racist thugs who are being total assholes to a little Moorish boy. And so he grabs them up, scoops them up, and dips them in ink as revenge. So... Totally seems like something St. Nick would do. I mean, I may have done that teachable moment a little differently, but uh, yeah, we're just... Look, it was 18... 48, so I'm sorry. That's that's where we're at. The next one is... Wait a this... minute. I want to know what happens to the kids. That, that's it. That's it. They, they just, just get dipped get in ink dipped so in that ink. other kids can then make racist fun of them. And the cycle continues. So then there's the story of the wild huntsman. This is the only one that features not humans. And I think it's a proto-Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd story. <laughs> um, so a hare, a rabbit, steals a hunter's gun and glasses. And then he... The hunter becomes the hunted, but because it's a whimsical story for children, and surprisingly one of the least horrifying, weirdly enough, even though it involves an angry, enraged, armed rabbit, the, and with glasses, there's apparently. just there's just generally crazy, wacky chaos, and in the end, the hunter ends up falling down a well. Problem solved. So then we get to the really disturbing one. It is the story of the Damenlutcher, or the, the thumb sucker, in which a thumb sucking boy is menaced. Because he will not stop sucking his thumbs. He's menaced, stalked, captured, and then maimed by a roving tailor who cuts his thumbs off with scissors. Ooh, does he make a necklace out of them? That's not discussed. Uh, You know, if you're going to talk about cutting thumbs off, you have to talk about what you're going to do with them. This story leaves me with also questions. That wasn't one of them, (laughs) but it could be. But my questions are, why the fuck does this tailor care so much? Like, what the fuck do you care, dude? That you're like so enraged by some little kid mowing down on his thumb that you're like, oh, I'm going to cut that right off. Okay. It seems like a little bit of an overreaction to me, but this idea of this tailor the sinister tailor that runs around meeting out, you know, justice with scissors to children who misbehave in some way. That kind of, that, that guy showed up in a number of additional stories. So oh. look out for that. Now, as somebody who used to work in the clothing industry, it seems like overkill. I, so. I think we're missing some yes. crucial information about this tailor. Like, how was he with pets? Did he like fire? He obviously went on to be featured in other fairy tales and their crimes. Is he like the fairy tale bandit? Uh, yeah, I don't know, but we just know he he has a real thing for like thumb sucking. Yeah, so you know German childhood, it's hardcore. And then following that is the Zuppen Casper or Soup 
Casper, uh, which was the one that my husband got threatened with a lot as a kid because he was apparently a fussy eater. And the Zupin Casper is about Casper, a young boy who will not eat his soup. And so he tragically wastes away after five days and dies of malnutrition. Is this actually the origin of Casper the ghost that we know, like the cartoons that we know here? I don't think so, but maybe? I mean, does anybody know how Casper actually died? Does that ever, do we go into that? I I think in one of the movies I never they saw those, but yeah. Hey guys, if you know how Casper the Ghost was created, and if it was due to this legend, email us at disturbinginterest at gmail.com and title it Casper. Yeah, maybe, but this is the one that uh, apparently Ingleham got totally thrust in his face as a child. Like, Did it really mess with him? I don't think so. Okay. It's not so much a picky eater now. And then this story is the one that I was like, oh, I like this one. The story of Fidgety Philip or Zappel Philip, which is the story of a boy that basically just fucks up dinner because he can't sit the fuck still and he just <laughs> knocks all the dinner on the floor. Nobody eats di- gets to eat shit. His parents are all like, fuck you, fuck you, Philip, and send him to his room. No supper. Because he just can't stop spazzing out at the table. Did he have a cousin named Casper? Maybe. Oh, God. Maybe Phillips. Oh, God. Philip, did you kill Casper? Is that why Casper died? Well, in a sort of interesting side note, in Germany, it just shows you how how much of the, how much the Struelpater is part of the German psychological mindset. In Germany, colloquially, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, hello, is actually colloquially known as Zappel Phillips Syndrome. Wow. Yeah. So, Fidgety Phillips Syndrome. It's it's a, it it's is a, a really it's a thing. thing. And this actually ties in to the author of the books, Heinrich Hoffman, who became a psychologist later in life. And I'll, I'll kind of, I'll explain that after I read the last couple of stories to So you. wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody out there said, this man wrote these books for his three-year-old. Let's give him a degree to handle other people's oh, mental health. Oh, a degree. Oh, girl, no. Aww. No, no, it gets better. It gets, it gets better. Uh, we have Johnny Look at Air. Johnny Look at Air. He's the kid that won't watch where the hell he's going, and he thus falls into a river and uncharacteristically does not die. Oh. No, he gets saved. God damn it. He lost his writing book, and he's real upset about that. Yeah. Uh, And probably kind of illiterate. Yeah. So there you go. Watch where you're going, you'll end up wet and illiterate. And then finally... Flying Robert. A boy goes outside in a storm with his umbrella and ends up basically going full Mary Poppins. He just gets blown away into the ether. The last image is this child, a la Mary Poppins, going wee through the air. Well, that one is one that is particularly weird for me because most of these stories are like, hey, wash your damn hair or don't suck your thumb or fucking watch where you're going. And this one is just like, hey, don't leave the house if it's windy. Watch out for wind. I guess. I guess be aware of wind. Hey, you've got to learn that. You've got to learn that early. It's traumatizing if you don't. Well... We don't know what happened. I mean, but going back to Heinrich Hoffman, the psychiatrist on old Zappel Phillips syndrome. So he trained as a doctor in the Frankfurt area. Actually, did get the equivalent of a doctor, you know, physics physician's degree at the time. And unfortunately, it wasn't a great way to make money. And I wonder when that changed. Well, and he also, despite writing these rather horrifying stories for kids, he was a pretty nice guy actually. He did a lot of volunteer work, and he worked at sort of the indigence clinic because he just wanted to help people. By all accounts, he was a really nice guy. Like, he became a Freemason, because that's what you did. But he left because he they wouldn't allow Jews in, and he was like, I don't want to stand for that. He wrote a lot of satirical stories for adults that were actually about why bigotry was bad. So... 
We got an echo. Cat. Incoming cat. But he actually became the director of the Frankfurt, and they called it a lunatic asylum, so it's not just me being impolitic, that's what it was called. Lunatic Asylum. He became the director of the Frankfurt Lunatic Asylum with no formal training in psychology because the the dude who ran the place was like, yeah, fuck this, I'm done. You want it? And uh, Heinrich Hoffman was like, okay, sounds like fun, and just took over because you could do that in the day. So the guy who ran it, did he own it? Or was he just, were the people who ran it, like directors grandfathered in? Is this like their own I'm not honestly sure. I mean, I think it was indeed state run. It was run by the city, but they didn't particularly care. care. You know, it wasn't a top priority. It was more like, oh, God damn it, Friedrich's over there, you know, there's no pants on, screaming at the moon again. We gotta find some place to put him. He's, He's upsetting the sausage making. You know, this says a lot about our history and mental health right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, on a pause, to end this on a positive note, I try. Hoffman was, a, by all means, a really good guy. And he really endeavored to learn as much as he could about psychiatric treatments of the day. So remember, this is like the oh. middle 1800s. And he reported there was about a 40% success rate of curing the patients that the symptoms today would have been probably diagnosed as schizophrenia. He was actually able to help a lot of these people kind of go back into society. And in fact, he, you know, campaigned really hard for increasing the, um, the funding and making the conditions better for the lunatics, as they were called, and lobbied successfully to get a new asylum built for these folks that was much cleaner, they had more room, it was had like a kind of a garden area, and it in fact was kind of a, a really known as a kind of a model. It was a really nice uh, asylum for the time. Oh. Uh, so Heinrich Hoffman kind of, and he, you know, interestingly enough, a lot of the descriptors in his stories really are those of a lot of symptoms of children who do have profound mental health issues, like things like ADHD or thumb sucking. And in fact, even Struhlpater syndrome isn't necessarily a mental health problem, but it's now a diagnosis given to people who have this rare genetic disorder where their hair grows in such a way that it kind of corkscrews up and is unruly hair syndrome, it can't be tamed. So, you know, it's uh, kind of interesting that this, these stories that were like, uh, maybe not for kids, for the time were actually kind of progressive. I mean, imagine he's like the Dr. Seuss, but with thumb removal instead of hardly hearing a who. So, you know, there's that. So Heinrich Hoffman, good guy, if a bit disturbing, guy of his time. Yeah. So... We probably would have hung out for with him, is what I'm hearing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, he seems like a, a, the J.K. Rowling of, of children's thumbs being cut off instructively. I, ah, I just want sure. more details behind that, personally. I want to know why was the kid there? Why? Oh, who is this? Who is this Taylor? Who is this Taylor? And what the hell does he have against thumb sucking that he just chops off random kids' thumbs? I don't know. I don't know his backstory. No one knows his backstory. But, you know, it's he showed up in, in again, many versions of both the Struhlpater and in other kind of stories, you know, in in comic books, in other novels. He's been in kind of freaky performance art, Broadway shows and operas and things like that. I I just get this image of like this tall, thin man with an epic handlebar mustache and a top hat 
with scissors in his hand, sneaking up behind people and like that's, the opera. And that's pretty. Yeah, that's things. actually pretty accurate. Yeah, I love it. He's just he's randomly sneaking around at the places scissor he's man. not supposed to be. Like, yeah, Scissor Man, what scissor, are you? Yeah. what are you doing there? He's coming for you. Yeah. So nail biters, thumb suckers, pickers. Yeah, don't. He's coming for you. Well, thank you. That was great. That was that was a lot of info. I, I really just hope great that too. it um, gives you a little background for what maybe the childhood uh, of, of our, our next story's protagonist, the guy this next story's about. This might give you at least a little cultural context for the world in which this gentleman uh, grew up. Absolutely. My story today is one on a crime of morals, something that has been called the last taboo and an act of desperation. It is the story of cannibalism. In fact, the cannibal in question, and some of you may already know this since it is German in origin and a cannibal, is on Armin Mivis, the Rottenberg cannibal. Please excuse me for any mispronunciation. I did try. So Armin Mivez, the Rottenberg cannibal. Armin was born in Kassel, Germany on December 1st in 1961. Armin was the youngest of three sons born to his mother, but he was the only child between his mother and his father. For the time, I guess, you know, pretty unique. The Mivez family settled down in a 36-room house when he was just a child. so cramped quarters? I don't even know what I would do with 36 rooms. Yeah, it's like bowling alley, alligator room, uh, panda storage, library too. No, I just, I don't even I would not want to clean all those rooms. Who would buy a house like that? Walk-in Tupperware closet? Okay. That's kind of appealing. Anyhow, as he was growing up in this 36-room house, his mother was always described as a difficult woman. In fact, his entire life, his mother was described as his labor of love, which I never want to be described as somebody's labor of love. I'm sure I probably have been, but I never want to be, especially long after I'm gone. Just be remembered, oh, she she was his labor of love. That doesn't connote a real positive, nurturing uh, parent-child bond. Not no, so much. no, no. Unfortunately, he didn't receive much nurturing at all from many, from what I can understand. His father was completely disinterested in him. He didn't pay him any attention. And at the age of eight, Mivas was out in the yard playing with one of his childhood friends and one of his most traumatic memories was chasing after his father as he left the family in the car and he didn't even turn back and look. Wow, it's like went out for strudel and never came back. Yeah, except they knew he wasn't coming back. To add insult to injury, he also emptied the bank account. Ooh, so like abandonment issues kind of from an early age. Yes. Okay. Yes. So abandoned the family three growing boys, no money, labor of love of a mother, and Armin. There he is. In an alligator room. In an alligator room, maybe. 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 Yeah. And right after he left, of course, the two older boys left home as well, because they were about that age. And I'm sure with financial times being hard, they decided to move on. But at the age of eight, Maiva's had his first real attraction to cannibalism. He read Robinson Crusoe and in reading it, you know, there is that tribe of cannibals sparked his interest. Man, now I'm like sad that they didn't give him something like, I don't know, 
Cinderella, but then he'd get fixated on mice. Or shoes. Pumpkins, or shoes. Shoes, that'd be all right. Yeah, he could have been an amazing shoemaker. Cobbler. There There's a word. Cobbler. Cobbler. And that, but would it have then been like human skin? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. All I know is that as he grew older, this idea continued to just have him transfixed. He'd fantasize about eating his food friends so they would always be with him he would further his fantasies along playing pretend with his imaginary friend frankie and so by the time he was 12 i think he had become a self-realized cannibal okay as a child though he would go to the butchers and just Stand there for hours and hours watching the butcher cut meat. And that didn't freak the butcher out? Like, I know, right? A little kid being like pressed up against, like, okay, if you're the ice cream guy or the chocolatier and you're a baker and you're making like frosting cupcakes, that makes sense that a child might have their little snotty nose pressed up against the glass. I don't know. I think I'd just be a little bit like, hey, kid, don't you have like, I don't know, you could go play some foot- football. I mean, I guess it's flattering. Like, oh, this kid's really into watching me separate uh, short ribs, but I, I don't know. I think I'd be a little creeped out after a while, honestly. Yeah, me too. Well, Maivas, unfortunately for him, since his mother had nobody else to focus her attentions on, she just really honed in on him and started living kind of this in this fantasy world with her and her 36-room house, and Maivas was her maid and would have to take her around town in their carriage with his little pony and she she didn't date. She then eventually pretty much became a shut-in. I mean, who wouldn't want to go out with a lady that has their own pony in 36-room alligator storage mansion? <laughs> what, what happened to the pony? Is the pony okay? As far as I know, the pony was fine. Okay. Uh, nothing happened to the pony that I know of. Maybe the pony lived a long, good life. According to all interviews I saw that had my Viz's friends on it, they all talked about how much he loved the pony, how well taken care of the pony was. Even saw a picture of the pony. Real cute, white, sweet little pony standing next to the sweet little cannibal boy. So Pony is fine. Okay. Pony's fine. His oh, friends good. and anyone else, though, they need to watch themselves. They need to get on that pony and get the hell out of there. <laughs> so in January of 1981, at 19 years of age, Maivis joined the West German army. And I'm not sure how taking a guy who's a self-proclaimed cannibal by the age of 12 and giving him military training could help the situation. But it appears that this time it did. So oh, wow. he went into the army and it actually helped. He spent 12 years in the military and during that time, he was very well liked. His men trusted him and he had far less ideations about cannibalism than he ever had in his life until he had a couple of DUIs and got into a couple of wrecks and ended up throwing away his military career for drinking so he could no longer advance and he decided at that point he was going to leave the military which left him going back to care for his mother well he'd become a computer engineer and put him in contact with other people on the interwebs. Oh no, the internet. We're not sure what really caused that drinking spree where he hit rock bottom, but we're, I'm pretty sure it was coming to terms with his sexuality. 
he was really having a hard time with it at that time. And I think anyone who had questions about their sexuality in West Germany might hit the bottle a few times. Yes. It's still hard to, you know, it's still legal to discriminate in many ways. And, you know, back then, even more so than it is today. So I could see where that'd be hard for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're making me feel like sort of sympathetic to it. To an actual cannibal. Yeah, it's amazing how feeling sympathetic to an actual cannibal can screw with you. On September 2nd, 1999, uh, he lost his mother to a heart attack. And Mavis was the one who found her. When his mother passed, he found this newfound freedom. And he found himself online on places like Cannibal Cafe, which is now closed down. But he started creating his own websites. Just going on one that was pre-created wasn't enough for him. And he started posting pictures that were made with the help of marzipan and meat. And like marzipan? Like the candy? Yes. Yes, and meat. He would sculpt them to look like body parts, apparently, of humans, and take pictures and then put them up online. Like, so, okay. The worst lunch ever. (laughs) Yeah, in a show where we're discussing a person who's about to actually eat another person, so far the things that I'm taking away from it this damn, I wish I had a pony, and oh my god, meat and marzipan? That's, that's horrifying. You know, that actually sounds like a, like a hipster restaurant. Where are you going to, I mean, it's, it's gonna go have the new avocado toast the deconstructed avocado toast smoothie with a side of poke over at (laughs) meat and marzipan yeah so he did that and and i'm sorry if you take meat and you combine it with marzipan that right there should be punishable by jail like that's That's certainly like a red flag to everyone that knows you you ought to be like armin we need to get you some help man yeah you just combined the but Okay, at least at this point, he's just getting out his feelings through horrible craft. Like, he's basically just evil Pinterest at this point, right? Yes, yes. At this point, it is evil Pinterest. It is cannibalfantasy.com, right? Sure, it's okay. not. It's not. We're, we haven't moved into actually eating our friends. Exactly. It's just arts and craft with sculpty food. But it's a slippery slope, isn't it? It's such a slippery slope. Because it's slippery with marzipan. Two months after his mother's death, Mivis took out his first advertisement. Advertisement for what? Single white cannibal seeks juicy dinner. Actually, his ads really, really are where the paraphilia becomes just glaringly apparent. And I'm giving you all forewarning, it is about to get very graphic. He advertises for a young boy between the ages, yeah, between the ages of 18 to 25. So like people veal. Yeah, that'll allow him to butcher and eat his quote unquote horny flesh. Huh. So there's that paraphilia coming around. But no one responded. So surprised. I know, right? I mean, knock me over with a feather. Well, no one responded to that one. Oh, okay. Mivis learned that he had to adjust his expectations. Okay. And so he went ahead and changed it to looking for a horny 35-year-old. Okay, so he's he's bumped the age back into, into a 35, attractive, lean person that was well-built and would let him eat him. 
He wanted a willing victim. The first real possible candidate, and there were multiple. There were multiple? There were multiple candidates. Wow, that just, I mean, the dating world is tough, I guess. You think you can maybe change a guy? Maybe I'll just let him gnaw on my ankle a little bit. I can change him. I I could change him. (laughs) He'll love me for me, not for my skin. Girls, you can't. Boys, you can't. You just can't, guys. Don't change the one you're with. Just... Get somebody else. They're yeah. not worth it. Pick a not cannibal, maybe. Yeah. Living alone's fine. It's great. It's yeah. Good. I'm really loving that the lowered expectations here aren't for the person going, well, I mean, he's a cannibal, but, you know, <laughs> he is cute and he was really nice with his mother. No, they're for the cannibal going, well, I really wanted a hot young thing, but I guess I'll go for some old hag in their 30s. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Thanks, <sighs> dating world. It really is a meat market out there. Yeah, the first possible candidate. He wanted Mivas to pick him up from the train station in a cattle truck and butcher him like a pig. But he's in a cattle truck. Yes, I know. I, I thought Mixing about that too. Mixing his animal metaphors. I know. You have to think, it's a pretty specific fantasy too. I've been in a cattle truck. I've actually been in the back of a cattle truck and I can tell you it's not a smooth ride. I can tell you you did not get butchered like a pig. I didn't. No, yeah. I was totally fine. But yeah, you, you can rent, you can rent just like a livestock truck. I mean, here in Seattle, Dell's Truck Rental, they'll rent you one. They're great. They're real nice people. Yeah, Woodenville, great people. Huh. I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, okay, do they have this service in Germany? Did they have this service then in Germany? And did he actually do it? I've looked everywhere to see if he actually picked this guy up in a cattle truck. I have not been able to find it. If anybody knows, please send me an email at disturbinginterest at gmail.com and just title it cattle truck because I want to know. Technically, it wasn't a cow. I think we were like a sheep. I think sheep, what you usually gets we were transporting goths in the <laughs> it was for the 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 pride parade and there was gothic pride seattle look if i can make a a sheep truck full of goths happen then why the hell can it my business make yeah. a cattle it's truck it's the least here? you can do dude i know Seriously. right Come on. Anyway, I don't know if the uh, Mivas went with the cattle truck, but I want to know. And uh, this gentleman, I think his name was Jorg, if I remember correctly. Um, Yes, Jorg. He came pretty damn close to being eaten. I mean, he came damn close to being eaten. He was wrapped up in the plastic wrap and had already licked the butcher's boots clean when he decided, no, I'm good. Things got weird after that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering exactly. Didn't care for the vibe? I Maybe it was the cattle truck. He didn't show up in the cattle truck. He was like, dude, you knew what my fantasy was. You don't care for my needs. You're putting it, your need to eat me over my needs to, to die in a cattle truck. There you go. Fuck um, you, buddy. This is an equal exchange. Exactly. I don't see this this being a long-term thing for us. He was like, um, I hate to be a stickler, but you didn't show up with a cattle truck. I'm out. Mavis later said that the only things that happened that night were eating pizza, drinking beer, and fooling around. How fucking awkward would that dinner conversation have been? So if- the pizza was after the no-go shlomo. But we don't know. We don't know. Was, was the it? pizza like fattening him up ahead of time? So, Or I'm about to die. Fuck it. Carbs. I'm having them. all of them. Was that it? That's pretty much the mentality I struggle with every single day. I don't need I carbs. I can be eating today. Fuck it. I'm eating carbs. There you go. But you think he was like, if it was the pizza was beforehand, he was like, so, am I going to be the pizza next week? Huh, like, why be a pizza topic? Now, here's a question. If you 
do you get to pick? Like, are you like, look, I, I want to be eaten, but I'm really specific about what recipes I do and don't want to go into. Like, if there's a food you didn't like when you were alive, you're like, please don't cook me with, like, I don't know, marzipan. Like, don't. <laughs> I mean. Dude, I've seen your work with marzipan and meat. I have Leave me so many questions. So many questions. One of my favorite things that I read about this case actually had to do with his second potential victim. Maivis ruled him out because he was too weird for him. How are you too weird for a cannibal? No, you know what? I don't. I'd rather just leave that there. I don't need to know the specifics. I feel like that's one of those moments where you have where you stop and step back and look at your life and your life choices. Like rejected by an actual cannibal. Maybe I need to make changes. Yeah, too weird for him. He wanted him to drive, like, nails and things into his body. He was just, he, he noped right the fuck out of that. He was so, just yeah, like, nope. So you're saying, like, Mivis is so, he's not really into, like, causing somebody pain. It's like, the pain isn't appealing to him. He's, in a way, he's like, he loves the person that he's eating. Actually, he participated in a type of cannibalism that is known as love cannibalism, if I remember oh, the title correctly. types? Oh, yeah, there's types. Oh, there's types. Fun fact. The most common type of cannibalism is war cannibalism. War cannibalism. That's right. Like, I will rip out and consume the heart of my enemy? Like that? No, that would be way too much fun. Oh. Uh, no, it's the, I'm starving to death in a war zone, so I'm oh. going to eat my brother. Oh, like like war donor party kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, oh. desperation cannibalism through war. So the next person to answer uh, his advertisement, though, was ultimately his victim, Bert Jürgen Brevis. Brandis was a 43-year-old engineer. And notice he's 43. This is a large leap for 25. Okay, yeah. and, and at this time, Mivis would be in the same age range. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He suffered from a progressive sort of sadomasochism. I do believe this is an aftermath diagnosis, though. I don't think he was getting help uh, from a therapist or a psychologist. But, you know, maybe if he had been, we would not be talking about him today. So I'm not here to kink shame anyone by any means. And if you have a freak flag, by God, baby, you let it fly as much as you want to. But if you're hurting other people or yourself, please get help. Because it's not a far jump from hurting people and yourself to possibly being a cannibal snack, as it turns out. Brandis had this fantasy of having his penis bitten off. Cool. That's a, that's a fun one. Yeah, that's some paraphilia for you right there. That, that's why I'm saying maybe you should have had some help. Yeah, I feel like your fantasy is like, I don't know, foot rub by Benedict Cumberbatch. That seems like you don't need to seek help, but... If your Actually, fantasy is having Benedict Cumberbatch stick his foot up your ass, hey, that's cool. Sure. Just... But, like, actually having chunks of your body, like, removed, like, that's maybe something you want to unpack and examine. And if self, genuine self-mutilation is a thing for you, talk to somebody. I know it, you know, and I'm going to be the first to admit that it's hard to access care in it the is. U.S. Well, he was in Germany. And he was in Germany, too. But who knows at that time? You know, they do have socialized medicine. Let's just hope that generationally we're changing. We're getting better. We're we're starting to open up to the idea that everybody needs a little... You know, you you get sick, you go... Your body gets sick, you go see a doctor. Your brain starts to have some issues. You go see a brain doctor. If you're fantasizing about marzipan and meat, go see a brain doctor. seek professional help. Uh, 
that's, no that girl is a must. That's beyond the pale. Well, Brandis even tried to convince former lovers to bite it off, and that's why they were former lovers because sure. not it's a big ask. Yeah. yeah. So the fantasy became so intense for him that he reached a point that he just had to have it done. He didn't care what happened to him after. He didn't care what happened to his body. He didn't care if he died. And so Mavis and Brandis started exchanging emails. Oh man, that's like the worst Venn diagram, like collision of two people that have really unfortunate, destructive fantasy lives. That's two paraphilias met in hell. Like that is a bad bad match but they started exchanging emails and they were very detailed emails about what would happen what was going to take place and brandis even suggested what mivis could do with his body after his death so when the day came for brandis and mivis to finally meet brandis went great lengths to protect mivis he erased all his computer information that might tie them together any kind of record that there was it was gone and then he told his partner renee rusnik that he was going out of town on business and it left a search going on with cops and just trying to find out who abducted him what happened to him and they didn't find out for almost a year wow yeah I hope his friends and family have been able to get some counseling around this because I think that would be a, a hell of a thing. This part is genuinely, I mean, all of it's kind of genuinely tragic, but the collateral damage from this is something really, you know, sobering. That is the saddest part of these stories, really, is the collateral damage. And to think that people can be collateral damage, but it happens. Unfortunately, Brandis did not tell anybody. Instead, he bought a one-way ticket to Castle, where he had arranged for Mivas to pick him up. Not in a cattle truck, I'm guessing? This was East Germany. A Trabant would be what we would be in. He said, I hear you have a pony. <laughs> oh, God! Poor pony! <laughs> Leave the pony out of it, damn it! Leave Mr. Marzipan out of it! Hair Marzipan! Hair Most of the evening was videotaped by Mavis, uh, something that had been prearranged between the two men before their meeting. And what the video showed was so horrifying. Only nine crucial minutes were allowed to be shown to jurors later. And those nine minutes were so bad that it sent several of them into therapy. God, think about not just the poor jurors that had to watch nine minutes of that horror yeah. But, you know, all the investigators and the lawyers and all of the legal team and everyone around this. Some of the press. The press. Everyone that had to. I really hope none of the loved ones. As far as I know, they kept that away from all of the loved ones and things like that. It was, you had to have special permission to view this tape because it was so horrible. And everybody that I saw in interviews who did view it, you could see it still, the horror etched on their faces when they talked about it. It was over four hours, and Mivis later admitted that he would rewatch it, masturbating to it. Oh, yeah. So the detail I didn't want. Oh well. Thanks. You're welcome. The initial meeting, though, was not taped. That part was not taped. All we have to go on are Mivis's words. So allegedly. According to Mivas, once he and Brandis made it back to his tiny chapeau of 36 rooms, he went into the kitchen and when he came back out, Brandis had undressed and he told Mivas that he wanted him to admire his dinner. So, Brandis took half a bottle of cold medicine and told Mivas once he was sleepy, then Mivas could cut off his penis. Well, actually bite it off. Well, that would, no, I wouldn't need like a half bottle of NyQuil. I, I would need, I would need all the Viking 
it in in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Nothing would be enough to no. make me let somebody cook my flesh and eat nope. it. No, not going to happen. But about half an hour later, we're not entirely sure if Maiva's just couldn't go through the act of biting it off or if he was having problems because of the texture of the the member itself because, you know, that is cartilage, very chewy and springy. But at some point, Brandis decided that according to Maiva's, that he wasn't hurting him enough and couldn't do it. And so he was out. And so... Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, he's getting away. So Mivas no. No. Mivas decided to drive him back to Castle and put him on a train. And on the drive, Brandis thought about it and thought that he couldn't go home. And so instead of going to a spa for the evening or owning up and going back to his partner and saying, hey, honey, I made a terrible, colossal mistake. I need help. Instead of any of that, he decides to go back with Mivas and continue with this fantasy of his. They get back to his house and he takes sleeping pills, cold medicine, and a bottle of alcohol. But he didn't take that much of it. And then after about half an hour when that stuff kicked in, they walked into Mibus's quote unquote slaughter room. Not the alligator room? Not the alligator room. I mean, that could be a slaughter room, but... So I have questions about the slaughter room. Maybe you can answer them. Was it like an existing slaughter room? Like when the house was built, someone was like, we need a French drain right in the floor here. I don't know about that. Was it a room that he had kitted out later for such a purpose? If so, what did he tell the contractor? There are questions. There are so many questions. There are so many questions about this room. Are there like tutorials on YouTube on how to build DIY kill rooms? Oh, I'm sure there's something up on YouTube about that. Wow. But this room was very disturbing. And mind you... There's a video up on YouTube of my Viz's house and an urban explorer walking through it with the snips of audio from this documentary that was done laid over it as you're walking through this house because it's been abandoned since he went to jail. What, nobody wanted it? Um, he still owns it. Oh, in I fact, so. the neighborhood has a bunch of the neighbors have said they don't mind him moving back in once he gets out of prison, if he gets out of prison. Well, I mean, he does throw good barbecue. But uh, this room, it was really disturbing. So aside from having a drain in the floor, which I could totally understand having a room with that. Laundry room. I mean, I could see how you could get around that. Art. Yeah. I I, I like sculpting. That would totally be great. But no, this is, this had a hook in the ceiling for draining. This had a cage. It had one of the metal frame beds where you can lock somebody to it. It had a slaughtering area itself, chopping table. It was a very much a quote-unquote slaughter room. And it had no windows. Oh. Even though Mivis has said that he never would have killed, that he was not a killer, he was just a cannibal, mm-hmm. he, I have to question why the cage? Why a cage if everybody's like, oh, no, I'm a willing land to this mm-hmm. slaughter? Exactly. Why cage? Why a posted bed where somebody could be handcuffed? Yeah. Like, just, yeah. Red flags everywhere. Huge, huge red flags. They go into the slaughter room, and it's on the tape. He very clearly, it takes several different knives because, you know, teeth won't do it. And they cut Brandis's 
penis off. That's what got to hurt. Yeah. In several different accounts, I heard Brandis screamed for about 30 seconds. In another account, I heard he screamed for two minutes. Brandis was very happy about it. He kept on saying, look, there it is. There it is. It's off. And he was happy about it. And then he went into shock and he was upset because he wanted the pain to last longer. Oh, that's been a reverse. Hmm. Well, I'd he imagine he's losing a lot of blood at this point. He is. That's a very blood-rich section of your body. It is. Instead of getting him help, what my viz did and what Brandis wanted was to be put in a warm bathtub. And he sat in that warm bathtub and bled out slowly while my viz cooked, cut up and cooked the penis with a little bit of garlic, salt, and pepper. If anyone is wondering what you cook a penis in, apparently that is the... Garlic, salt, and pepper. Sure, okay. Garlic powder. So um, once it was cooked, which unfortunately it got a little burnt. You had one job, Mivis. You had one job. One job. And he burnt the penis. But he went back to Brandis and the two tried to eat it. And it was a very inedible, much to both of their disappointments. Brandis stayed in the tub and Mivis went and read a Star Trek book in the room next door while Brandis bled out. A Star Trek book? Star Trek, yes. Huh. Okay. I mean, sure. He's an engineer. It is the language of his people. Yeah. So basically, he's a murder nerd. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. Yeah. So Brandis is laying there bleeding out, and all of a sudden, Mivis hears something. Brandis had gotten out of the tub and fallen. Brandis wanted to be put into bed. So Mivis helped him into the bedroom, and allegedly, my favorite word again in the story, allegedly, Mivis put him in bed, and Brandis said, if I'm still alive in the morning, we can feast on my genitalia. So Mivis claims the next day, he goes into the room, and Brandis is dead. He takes the body into the slaughter room, and mind you, he's still recording. Like I said, over four hours of all of this specialness. So he then records himself butchering Brandis in the slaughter room, cutting him up, hanging him. He cut the head off, disemboweled him, and then turned him into portions of meat, like actual cuts of meat. He took the skeleton and the head and the entrails and buried it in his backyard. And he took the rest of the meat and put it in a freezer in his garage that had a removable bottom. That way he could hide the meat. You know, as an aside, I feel really confident in saying that I will never be a cannibal. Not just because I'm, that's disgusting and I'm a good person. Also, prions, that's why we don't eat people. Yeah. You want Kreutzfeld Jakob, that's how you get Kreutzfeld Jakob. But mainly because that just seems like a lot of work. (laughs) I mean. I like how that was mainly like a main reason. Seems like a lot of work. I'm too lazy to be a cannibal. My dad, yes, you know, I've seen how you. You butcher a deer and things like that. And I was like, God, this is just, like, hunting is just a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, this is a lot of work. So just, that that makes me feel a little bit better. I think about how lazy most people are. And I feel pretty good about the fact that it's probably going to deter the casual cannibal. That is true. That is true. You have to be really into this. My fizz was really into it. Yeah, no, I would say so. He attempted to grind the bones into flour. Oh, that's taking paleo way too far. Yeah, so that didn't work, though. Thank goodness. Or they probably never would have found any of them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Magus cut him up, put him in the fridge, and over the next 10 months... 
he ate between 45 to 53 pounds of Brandis's flesh. Okay, now, again, my brain is on a horrible tangent. I wonder, like, what percentage, like, per per person, like, how many pounds of usable meat are there on an average-sized human being? Like, how, how much ground meat is there? Could I feed a family of four for how long, you know? It, it is a definite question that that pops up. Another question that pops up there is, what was he doing with it? Like, exactly how much meat did he use per week? Like, did he make patties did he make burgers i know i know he prepared a nice little bolognese sauce Mm -hmm. he prepared some nice roast according to him well i mean as i again not from personal experience but i have heard of human flesh referred to as long pig he commented on that yes he did more of a pork like the other other white meat human exactly so he would serve this on his best china. Like he really made an event out of eating Brandis. And after that's sort of nice. That's like respectful. Like you, you're honoring the, the, the per- don't eat people. Don't just eat people. Cut it out. No matter what you eat it on, just don't. Yeah, don't do it. I don't care if it's like the good. Chi- I got the chinettes. I got the good paper plates. No, <laughs> not even that. Don't y'all don't. He killed Mivas in February, and by June. He was back on the internet looking for his next volunteer. Because he'd run out mostly or just knew it would take a while to source next year's dinner? I know that by the time the cops got there, there was still peace, at least part of Brandis left. But I don't know how much. They didn't say. Maybe it wasn't the really quality cuts either. Maybe. Or maybe it was the really quality cuts. Well, he was like saving that. Yeah, for a special occasion or something. Christmas. Mm -hmm. He went back onto the internet thinking, hey, this worked once, it'll work again. And he was also smart enough to put up pictures of what he had done. Oh. Quote, unquote. Smart. Must advertise, I guess. Yes. And this time it was not pictures of Mars, Pam, and meat. Just people. And so a um, 23-year-old med student named Reinhold found the ad and contacted him. Mivis thought that Reinhold was going to be his next victim and struck up an email conversation with him, just like he did with Brandis. He was giving him details about the previous encounter with Brandis, and that led Reinhold to believe that he might actually be speaking with a murderer. And I'm not sure if maybe Mivis did it because of that whole wanting to be a legend amongst cannibals, weird mentality that people in strange stories like this have or if it was just he was bragging because he was proud of what he would had done but reinhold the one person in this entire story who had a little bit of sense contacted the police go reinhold yeah i want you on my team yep so he contacted uh, the police and said there was possible murder he was speaking to told him all the details and the police armed themselves with a warrant for suspicion of presentation of violence in other words it was because of those pictures for the cut up mr brandis yes yes police took away freezer samples so they found the false bottom found the meat took away samples and mivas told them that it belonged to a wild boar 
tying back in that whole pig thing. They took away a bunch of media evidence as well, but none of it was actually the tape. So the tape stayed hidden. But um, It was hidden somewhere in Midas' house. Yes, it was hidden somewhere in Midas' house. He was arrested, interviewed, and released because they didn't have enough evidence against him yet. They didn't have the samples back. They didn't have enough to hold him. So Mivas immediately went to a lawyer and confessed and said that he wanted to know the best way to get out of this. Because according to Mivas, it was all Brandis's fault. He had done nothing wrong. It was just assisting a suicide. Okay. Or, uh, yeah, I could see some arguments for, but a lot against that. And apparently in Germany, at least at this time, cannibalism is not illegal. Oh, you would think, but then I guess would it come up, you know, like, oh, we need to make a law against this. I mean, I'm sure there's not a law in the books about, I don't know, roller skating naked backwards into a pond with a bucket on your head because that just doesn't come up a lot. (laughs) Again, fun fact. I don't directly know somebody who has committed cannibalism, but... I indirectly know somebody who has committed cannibalism. They claim that cooking the placenta and eating it after giving birth helps provide nutrients that the child's going to need back to them in the nursing milk. Can't you just take a, like a one a day for moms? Yeah, I'm... Yeah, no. No, no. I would never do that. The I'm not hard making the first slot out of my... No, yeah. you're in content. Unfortunately, there are people who do. And maybe he's gonna hip. Yeah, not illegal. No, just disgusting. Just disgusting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of things that aren't illegal, but just disgusting. disgusting. Yeah. Sure, sure. But Mivas went to the police and gave them all of the evidence, including the tape that they missed. And according to them, Emmy. Wait, Mivas turned the tape in mm-hmm. on he, his own. He gave the tape in because, according to him, he had done nothing wrong. Okay. Now, like I said, according to Mivas, Brandis was dead when he wheeled him into that room. So a technicality is what he thinks he's going to get off on. But in the video, according to the lawyers, there is a clear moment when he is moving him in the slaughter room onto the table where you see Brandis take a breath and Mivas stab him twice in the ah, throat. Ah, his murder is definitely illegal. Yes. So basically, he's only in jail because of haste. If he could have just waited, if he just gotten, wouldn't have gotten a snack, you well, know? he did plead guilty to the assistance for suicide charge that okay. was laid against him. And he was given an eight and a half year conviction. But according to the German people, that was not enough time for this crazy ass cannibal that is splashed all over the news and is just a total horror. But according to Mivas, he didn't think it was fair or he should be punished at all. Uh-huh. So he appealed. And was granted a retrial. And that would be the point where they got him for murder on the retrial uh-huh. because of the The, the tape. stabbing and yeah. the tape, sure. Yeah, because Brandis was still alive at that point that the threat was cut and the video proved it. Mivas claimed, like I said, Brandis was dead before he had started butchering, but the video clearly showed him stabbing Brandis through the throat when he was alive twice. So upon retrial, he was convicted of murder, a much heavier charge. 
Sure. And that doesn't mean that he'll die in jail, though. Fuck no. That would just be too much sense. I mean, come on, keep up murdering cannibal in jail for forever, especially when his psychiatrists say he'll never be over this paraphilia. Ah, uh, that seems like the opposite of what you might want to do. Yeah, yeah. No, he could probably only serve 20 years or so. And then be, like, paroled and for good behavior of not eating anybody in jail? I guess. Huh. Just be released. He served a sentence. I guess. And so, at the moment, he's getting good psychiatric care. He's become a vegetarian. Yay! He sings in the church choir. It's a hobby. Uh-huh. And he's made, made many, many public statements. He's currently writing a biography. Yep. And... He claims that Brandis is still with him. And that is the story of the Rottenberg Cannibal. All right. Well, I'm never eating again. At least you don't have to have ribs tonight. No, no. I had a delicious side. I was going to make a inst- I was going to throw some vegetables in the Instant Pot and make a soup. Mm, I did that last night. I don't even know that I want tofu tonight. That's, that's maybe a fleshy bridge too far. You know what I don't want? Marzipan and meat. Oh, never. I never want marzipan pan and meat. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have something good to bring us home with? I, I have a little dessert for us. Mm. Um, it's also horrible, but it does end with a story of art redemption. Oh, okay. A little bit. Yeah. Right? So this isn't really so much cannibalism, but it does involve knives and people's flesh and people wanting to do horrible things to their own body, but less because they're like, oh, it's kind of sexy. And more because the alternative is worse. Okay. So yay! That we're going to talk about a common phrase that we use on the regular in English. Cutting off your own nose to spite your face. So that's a pretty common, well-known phrase that basically means doing something that ends up being bad for you in the long run just out of being an asshole. Well... Turns out, it's not just a weird, random, who would do that kind of a phrase that people threw together. It actually has some real historical um, precedence. All right. So there's a couple of options for why uh, this exists. And one of them ties into a true and horrible story uh, of the Middle Ages, who <laughs> A.D., 867, off the coast of Scotland, the Coldingham Priory, where St. Ebba, she was the mother superior of the Coldingham Priory. And so at that time, there were a lot of Vikings. This was the dark, it's called the Dark Ages, not just because we had not figured out electricity, but because shit was dark. It was called the Dark Ages because literally the loss of civilization when the fall yes. of Rome plummeted the world into darkness. Darkness, like real, real bad. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, there was a lot of pillaging, a lot of raping, a lot of plundering. So anyway, it was also, I mean, rape is full scale awful in regardless of what the context for it was. But let's just add like a little layer of extra horror on top of this. If you... Oh, yippee. Yay, I know. I love to make things worse. I do. I really do. But at that time, in this particular era of Christianity, a lot of the belief system was that once you took your vows as a nun, your vows of chastity, that was a very important part of it, even if you were not a willing participant in sexual activity, if you were raped, it still counted as basically cheating on your husband Jesus and so in addition to the physical and emotional horror of rape there was the long-term spiritual repercussion where you were going to hell 
for someone basically violating you. Isn't that delightful? Well, I mean, it's keeping with so many other rape culture things in history. Even currently in some areas, oh, yeah. if you're raped, it's your fault. It's your fault. You How did dare it. you dress like that? You must have done something to provoke them. You must have asked for it. You must have wanted it. Oh, you were raped? Let me stone you to death. Yep. Oh, you were raped? It's your fault. You know what? It's never fucking your it's fault. It's never your fault. And if you are a bride of Christ, you did not cheat on your husband. In fact, you should be pissed off he was at home. That motherfucker that raped you ought to be the one spending eternity getting his ass poked by, you know, a hot, a hot... Cumberbatch uh, foot? A hot Cumberbatch <laughs> foot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what should happen to you. So anyway, St. Ebba got word that Vikings had landed on the coast of Scotland and were basically just rampaging their way through the countryside. And she knew that a popular target of marauding Vikings was places like priories and, and ab, you know, places, abbesses? No, that's the lady. Abbeys, abbeys, and, you know, monasteries, because Abby, Abby, some of they were easy pickings. They weren't violent people. They weren't uh, well defended. They had food stores. They didn't necessarily have a lot of riches, but they had some. Usually they did, though. Like, their crosses, sure, things like gold, that. And yeah. They were made of gold. Yeah, they were popular places to plunder. Hmm. And if there happened to be some nuns in there, hey, ladies, let's get our raping on. Yeah. And so St. Ebba, in order to protect herself and set an example for her fellow sisters to do this as well to keep themselves from being raped, took a just a rusty nasty kitchen knife and literally whack cut off her nose to spite her face. She hacked off her nose and her upper lip, basically leaving herself looking like like the red skull from like Captain a America. Leper. Like a leper. Like that movie It, that leper thing. Yeah, exactly. Syphilis gone. Syphilis to the, yes. Yeah. Horrifying, just a big ca- bloody cavity where the front of her face used to be. Did she do it to the rest of the nuns too? They were like, great idea, St. Ebba. Pass me the paring knife. And everybody cut their face in the same way. I guess order... Jesus doesn't really care. Jesus doesn't care. But you, you know, the idea was to render themselves so revolting that when the Vikings showed up, they were like, ooh, hard pass. Did they not know what Vikings were like? Well, you know what? It actually worked. Wow. It worked too well. Oh. Yeah. It always can get worse. In this case, it did. So the Vikings arrived, took one look at them, and were like, these bitches be crazy. Plundered it anyway, but locked the women inside the priory and set it all on fire, burned it all down with the nuns inside. So you have to wonder, raped to death by Vikings, forced to suffer pain by cutting off your own nose and lip, and then burnt to death by Vikings. Oh boy, it's a that's a hard choice. It is a hard choice. Is there an option C that involves none of that? I would there like might to be an option C where you get raped and you live, but okay. you go to hell. Can I choose option D? I live today. Yes, let's choose option I, you D. know, people talk, oh, I'd love to go back in the past. Oh, hell no. Fuck that. Oh, I would be no. burnt as a witch. I, I don't want a time machine. Screw mm-hmm. that. I'm going to, you know, yeah, no. No. You know, though, I would like to see the World's Fair. Chicago World's Fair. Okay, that's probably unless you go H.H. Holmes. Oh, no, You're no. You'll be fine. I, and I know enough about that man. I think you I could, could stay away like, from him. Hell no, motherfucker. Cheap could, lodging my ass, dude. I could spot his Motel ass at 100 yards. Uh-huh. Okay. World's Fair Hotel, my ass. Yeah. 
But yeah, so that's where cut off your own nose to spite your face might have come from. Okay. There's also a possibility that it was just about the sort of general practice that was popular during fascinating medieval times of cutting people's noses off as an ultimate punishment to spite them. Or from the fact that when you would duel with swords, often you would spite your opponent by slashing their face. In fact, I have a famous example. Oh, I love examples. A famous example from history. Yes, that's right, kids. Tycho Brahe. He was a Danish astronomer. He was born in 1546 and lived till 1601, so spanning a good good chunk of the 16th century. That's a long time for somebody back then. Yeah, but he he came up with the idea that, look, the universe is kind of always changing, expanding. It's not always twas ever thus. And that uh, new stars were a thing that they actually existed and that stars were in fact being born in this way. So this isn't really, I mean, if this alone was a thing that Tycho Brahe had done, he'd be a fascinating guy, great to talk about, all of that. But this is not the informational astronomy podcast. This is disturbing, disgusting, horrible things. So the reason that Tycho Brahe comes into this whole thing is that he did lose his nose in a duel with his cousin, who has the greatest name ever, his third cousin, Manderup Parsberg. Awesome. I know. I mean, I almost wish I had children. It's a little Mandra Parsberg over here. So nobody knows what the fuck they actually argued about. But they had this huge blowout argument at a wedding of all places. It's like the Lifetime movie we never knew we wanted. Duel at a wedding. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, they had this big fight, blowout at a wedding. I'm sure that was great for the bride and groom. Can you imagine how pissed that bride must have been? Oh my god. God damn it, Tycho. So they go forth and they duel at dawn. The sun's not up. They can't actually see each other. And old Mandra, whack, cuts, ends up cutting off Tycho's nose right at the bridge and leaves a big scar across his forehead. Now, luckily, Tycho, you know, was at a, at a university at this time, and so the physicians there took great care of him and made him a prosthetic nose. Was it out of marzipan? Alas, no. Mm. But what it was made out of was a huge source of questioning for many years that was later solved through an exhumation. Really? Um, so there were reports that it was made out of gold, no, 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 silver, no, copper, and it was actually adhered to his face using a paste, and he would just wear it like that for the rest of his life. Really? Yeah. It wasn't strapped on, it was a paste. No, it was apparently some kind of a really strong paste, which would just stick it right on there. That's fascinating. Um, his actual death was not nose cavity related. He was reported to have died from, quote, a burst bladder because he was at a banquet and refused to leave in order to go take a wee because he didn't want to be disrespectful to the guests. To be disrespectful. And when they exhumed him, they exhumed him twice. Uh, one in the 1990s and then once again in 2010 to basically test this theory that he was poisoned. And in fact, no, it looked like probably he had died of some kind of bladder or kidney issue. Ah, so burst bladder. Not necessarily burst bladder. It was not kidney stones. They didn't find that. But some kind of kidney obstruction or mm. a cancer or something like that. While doing this, they actually took samples from the bones of his face to determine what kind of trace metals might be there. And they discovered that his nose in the end was made out of brass. So, you know, this is all kind of creepy and gross. But let me take it to at least an, a positive ending. The whole sort of science and art of restoring people with malformed or injured face parts is actually via 
the use of prostheses is called anaplastology. And it was really pioneered by a gentleman named Francis Derwent Wood, who was an English sculptor who was too old to go to World War One. He was in his 40s, but he wanted to help the war effort. So he ended up working in an injury ward. And one of the things that he saw that really greatly horrified and saddened him was how many of the soldiers came in with horrible face deformities from being shot or gassed or just awful things happening to them. And he decided to use his sculptural skills to start building basically facial prostheses. And he founded a clinic that was called Masks for Facial Disfigurement Department, but its colloquial name was The Tin Noses Shop. He calls British. I love it. And even the Americans got into this. And there was a wonderful uh, woman whose name was Anna Coleman Ladd, who was an American sculptor, whose husband moved them to France in 1917 because he was a doctor and he was called on to become the director of the Children's Bureau of the Red Cross at that time because there were a lot of children that had been injured and displaced and were really in need of help because of World War One. And Anna, seeing what had happened to all of these soldiers, decided to study with Francis Derwent Wood for a little bit and went on to also create some real advances in face prostheses. That's amazing. And the prostheses themselves were made of metal. They were actually very, very thin sheets of copper. And you can actually go online and look up some of these amazing photos that were taken of soldiers before and after with the prostheses on. And they're, they're, some of them are really incredible. You, you can't tell until you look closer that some of these seams and wrinkles in the face are actually where the mask is meeting actual flesh. So see, you know, horrible butchery done by man to man can then sort of be redeemed through artists helping people. Alrighty, well that was a great story. I love it. You got anything good happening this week? I'm very excited to uh, go see the house with the clock at its walls. I love John Belair's. Oh my god. So John Belair's is was for me the kitty gateway drug to like HP Lovecraft and nice. everything that kind of follows on. I don't picture Jack Black and Kate Blanchett in those roles, but I really like them as actors, so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what they do. You know, so as always it's movies, movies that I'm I'm excited for. Nice, yeah. nice. For me this week, I think it, it's actually a book. I'm reading Lady Killers, which are all of these short stories about women serial killers or murderers throughout history and it's just fascinating very very interesting books I've been enjoying that one and uh so that's been my my happy shiny spot this week has been reading stories about murder which is keeping with me yeah so if you're a hater, don't be a raider, but everyone else, please rate us. Um, high ratings do push us to the top of the charts and will help. I know this is the first episode, so you don't have any sponsors or commercials to listen to. But once we do, please follow those links and check us out. And I will be following up with all of our contact information very shortly. But until then, thank you all. Keep each other safe. And don't eat anybody. Words to live by. Alrighty, remember what I always like to say. If you're a hater, then don't be a raider. However, if you like what we're doing and want to help us spread the disturbing word, then hit a like, subscribe, and leave a nice review. If you want to contact us, then you can reach us at disturbinginterest at gmail.com, at our website, disturbinginterest.com, or you can send us items for unboxing videos at 
P.O. Box 70515, Seattle, Washington, 98127. Find us on Patreon if you're feeling super generous. And remember, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone.